This is the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Your doctor or healthcare provider probably doesn't know this either. Now, I created the Menopause Movement to help women just like you decrease the suffering that menopause can cause. And the Menopause Movement provides world-class transformational education to help women make menopause the best time of their lives. And we've opened up a free video workshop for you to help you make menopause the best time of your life. Simply go to menopausemovement.com forward slash workshop to sign up. Today, we welcome Marianne Kane to the podcast. Marianne is a cardiac nurse turned ACSM certified personal trainer, kettlebell expert, and mom who's on a mission to bring real fitness to real women. She founded her blog, myomyfitness.com in 2010 to journal her own fitness journey and soon found her short and effective kettlebell workouts named in Shape's top 10 YouTube workout channels, reaching millions around the world. Marianne also collaborated with other influencers in the industry co-founding Girls Gone Strong and Get Glutes to inspire more women to pursue strength training. These days, Marianne continues to provide sustainable fitness programs and workouts via her membership equippedwithstrength.com and her signature eight-week glute training program at getglutes.com. Marianne believes there are too many shoulds and have tos and nobody needs that stress. She knows there's a way to be strong without draining your valuable time and energy. Keep it simple and doable and fluff free, which is exactly what her coaching style encourages. During our interview, we talk about Marianne's professional and fitness journey, how beliefs about our bodies can shape our behavior and our fitness successes, chronic pain and what to do about it, focusing on the journey rather than the results, how pregnancy changes our bodies and maybe our perception of ourselves, what to do just once a week to build muscle, perfectionism and how to look at it differently, and stay to the end to find out how to look at measurements other than the scale to keep you motivated and successful in your fitness journey. At the end of the episode, make sure you visit menopausemovement.com forward slash blog where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy this episode, be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So you're always the first to know when each episode is released. And thanks for all of the five star reviews. If you haven't left a review yet, please take the time to review the podcast, a written review on whatever podcast platform you use, because when you do this, more women can find the podcast and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause, you know, because no one should have to go through this alone. And just before we get to Marianne, we talk a lot in this podcast about about chronic pain. And one thing I forgot to mention during the podcast was a great book to help you reframe pain that you might be having if you have a chronic condition like fibromyalgia or maybe a type of osteoarthritis or even rheumatoid, any sort of autoimmune disease that causes pain. And that is called The pain, Great Pain Deception. And so I recommend that you get that book and read it because it can really help you understand more about pain. Now, let's get to Marianne. And thanks for being a part of the menopause movement. Marianne, thanks for coming on the Menopause Movement Podcast today. Uh, I'm so happy to have you. And you've got such a really interesting background that, that you started as a cardiac nurse. And so let's just hear a little bit about you, where you're from, uh, what got you into, I want to hear your story a little bit, like what got you into this? You're a fitness mm -hmm. expert, kettlebell expert, but you're also a cardiac nurse. And so you pivoted <laughs> out of that. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that, because I think my audience will probably really relate. I mean, a lot of us tend to shift our 
careers and midlife. And so mm-hmm. this this is really super interesting. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny that the origin story, uh, I did, I was a, a nurse in my late 20s. I left nursing to pursue the fitness career in my early 30s. And there was a little overlap there. But yeah, I started, um, I actually started experiencing a lot of chronic pain and it turned out I had an autoimmune uh, arthritis called ankylosing spondylitis. Mm -hmm. And it was just this journey of uh, trying to make myself feel better. And uh, one of the frustrations I felt, I was working in the NHS, I'm from Northern Ireland. And, you know, you're understaffed and you're high stress and that didn't help things. Uh, but I loved fitness. I loved movement and I wanted to get better at that. One of the things that was heartbreaking for me was to see people recovering surgically from their cardiac bypasses and valve replacements and things, but then being really stuck after that and trying to change their lifestyle so that they didn't end up back in. Yeah. And it felt more that there was so much work needed done there to help people um, even before they got to the point of needing that heart surgery. And I just wondered, like, could I be of better use maybe on the other side? And uh, I just loved strength training. I loved kettlebells. And it just seemed like a natural progression to make that my thing. And that's what I did. I've been doing the online fitness since 2010 and I was involved in I was very fortunate I got involved in a lot of movements the girls gone strong being one of them and uh, over time I've really changed my own approach to fitness because life happens and having been in the industry so long you see it time and time again what is it that knocks people off track and why do people really struggle to get back into it and uh, as a somebody who was so enthusiastic about it. Like it was just like, I couldn't imagine how anyone wouldn't just take to this like a duck to water. But at the same time then, uh, or eventually, when chronic pain got back, came back to me, uh, I went through a period of depression. I moved countries twice in the last decade. And then I had my daughter three years ago and I realized that and then the pandemic and just how life just can throw you through a loop sometimes and we have to be so compassionate with ourselves as we try to get into fitness. And like, this is even more, I'm even more on fire now because I realize what doesn't matter and what does. Yeah, that's, that's great. So, so you've been able to kind of prioritize what's important to you. And it, one of the things I think that, you know, we, we, we tend to have some pain. Um, you're not menopausal. You're, you're, you've got a young child, but you've, you've been through some things that a lot of menopausal women go through like, you know, aching, aching joints. And, uh, you know, a lot of women will, will get these autoimmune issues, you know, Hashimoto's or, or another type, you know, maybe a rheumatoid or, or even maybe an inflammatory bowel disease. And one of the things that, that is that we almost never talk about is how diet relates to these, these issues. And so do you address diet in your programs? I actually don't, uh, address diet I go into more in terms of the details of foods and things like that I would mm-hmm. I would think that's out of scope for me as a trainer I would refer somebody to a dietitian but um, but I would help with people with habits around food and uh-huh. eating and the mindset stuff definitely that would be more my wheelhouse yeah so I, I mean what I like to say you know we live our whole lives in our mind and if we can't mm-hmm. make that a friendly place we're gonna have a really hard time 
being happy. And so it's important to, you know, and mindset is hard to sell because people don't under, really understand it. It's so nebulous. And so when, when we can get to the point where we, re and I re learned this from Wayne Dyer, it's like, you know, you live your whole life in your mind. And when you start to realize that everything is an interpretation of, of what our, you know, our senses bring in, then we can kind of make our lives a little bit happier when we start to change our minds. But are you still having a lot of pain? No, thankfully, I'm not. And, you know, touch wood, like, you know, I think when you talk, talk about the mindset, the beliefs about your body is a huge piece of this. The pain for me when I had it, um, I tended to think the worst and I would go on this quest to fix myself. And this is my beef with the industry is that they enable that and curry, they not necessarily mean to, but what happy people are out buying products like you need people to feel that there's something missing all the time or like so it's really you're preyed on you're dysfunctional you don't stand right you don't sit right you don't breathe right you can't like do this exercise until you can crawl and roll again like you were a baby and go through the whole progression like it's you get caught up in so many weeds that you become so overwhelmed so when something does feel like it's wrong in your body you go to like the worst place possible and you think right, well, that's it, I won't be able to do this. My life is always going to be like this. Um, and then you can't fix yourself by nitpicking the details. One of the things I realized was that my beliefs about my body being broken in the first place was deeply rooted as a teenager. And there was always something that I had to fix. Either I was too big, I wasn't strong enough, or I didn't stand right, walk right. I, you know, any detail and I think there comes a point in your life where you have to say, well, maybe it's something I'm being told what I should want for myself. People are constantly telling me what I should want and what do I actually want and how can I get that sustainably and in a way that's going to free me, not trap me even more, but free me from these ideas. And that was a big turning point for me and my pain because it, it was so amplified with a worry and anxiety and I catastrophized it. I really did. Hmm. But I being able to re reduce that has, I believe, helped a lot with how I've, I still get niggles. I still get aches and pains like everyone else. And I, I hope I don't have a flare. The test will be if I have a flare, how would I deal with that now? But I hope that I would be able to talk myself. And it's how you talk to yourself. When you said that, I was like, I'm reading this book right now. It's called Chatter. Mm -hmm. by Ethan Cross and it's about that inner critic it's about the inner dialogue and how you talk to yourself even down to whether you refer to yourself as an I or a you or by your name and it's just so empowering to switch how you see yourself and speak to yourself. That's really great. I mean, we, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, in the menopause movement, we spent a lot of time talking about how we speak to ourselves. And and through this work that I did in order to create the menopause system, I started looking at how I spoke to myself and how I viewed myself. And I realized that the person I thought I was was like this 14-year-old who had never, who always needed permission. And, you know, I mean, she, she was fearless in, in a lot of ways, but she was also meek. And it wasn't until... I would say maybe three, four years ago that I finally like said, well, that's not accurate. <laughs> You're an adult now. <laughs> you don't need to ask for permission. It's really important to, to look at the way we speak to ourselves. There's another book also that is really, really good on making friends with the, the weird roommate we have inside of our head, <laughs> who's kind of, 
you know, maybe a little bit neurotic. And that's um, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Mm. And and I recommend that one a lot, too. Mm. That's, a, that's a really great book. But mental chatter is is a huge thing. And and I think that what happens, and, and I'm not a psychologist, but I think what happens is that, you know, around the age of two, we start to create you know, some persona of ourselves. And depending on the way that we're, that, that our parents or the people who are caring for us interact with us, we start to start telling ourselves stories to make sense of the world. Because, you know, really humans, it's all about story. And once we start to tell these stories to make the world make sense to us, we start to believe them as if they are true. And so to take a step back and say, well, where did that belief come from? And is this really true? And, and those things. And so for you to actually confront all your beliefs around your pain i'm sure that 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 was that was huge for you because you know and and if you're one of these one of the women who's listening to this and has you know chronic pain you know a lot of it has to do with how we choose to think and and i don't have chronic pain i mean i get a headache once in a while and you know i've got a bum shoulder right now i'm going to physical therapy but but i don't know what it's like to have you know severely debilitating chronic pain but i do know that we can do a lot with our thoughts and so. yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's almost, I think when I first learned about that, and sort of the idea that pain is like a biopsychosocial experience, it emerges from the person. And I thought what they were saying or what people were going on about was it was somehow in my head. And I used, and since that, I've realized that it's just this interplay with so many systems in your body that it's so hard to, to you know, to pull out the thread of what the thing is that's causing it. And sometimes, you know, we're trying to find the path, the, the why, but it's like sometimes that's lost and it's already gone. Like it's just the cycle started. So there's a way to interrupt that and, uh, and change something. Um, pain is to tell you to change something or, and that can be a mindset thing. It can be, and a movement that maybe you're doing a different way. It could be a whole, or what you're eating, how you're sleeping, and how you're managing your stress. And it's you just can't separate. And even now that I'm a fitness trainer, but I, I'm not talking about exercise so much as to what's your mindset about exercise and what are you hoping the outcome is going to be. Um, I think that a lot of people get so, and our society is obsessed with results. And this is another beef I have because any wonder nobody's happy about on the journey to get there um, because they're waiting for this end point and there is no end point. It's not like in eight weeks you're going to have something and keep it. Like you have to uh, almost like adopt it into your daily, not daily life. I don't exercise every day, but when I do, it's like it has to be enough. Like I just see it as part of this long walk that I'm taking and it's mm. not a race. It's just part of my my life. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I think that one of the things like for me when I was, you know, 50, 60 pounds heavier and trying to understand exercise and, and comparing my life myself to the, the person that used to exercise mm -hmm. and was thin and thinking I had to get right back to that immediately. And that kept me from even trying rather than accepting myself at the point where I was, which is kind of how I was able to get back into it and say, I just have to beat yesterday. I just have mm. to do a little bit better than yesterday, or I have to do a little bit better, or I have to do the best I can today. And then, you know, kind of stay in the present and get out of that, get out of that past thing. And, and 
You know, I've been working with a triathlon coach since 2015, and my weight's been all over the place. I haven't, you know, I was really having trouble. And for me, I mean, I thought that exercise, initially I thought exercise was going to help me lose weight. And as I've done more research, especially into nutrition and menopause and the hormones that are involved and all those things, I mean, exercise is really good for us. We have to move our bodies. We're, we're designed to move. But if, you're, if what you're going to do is exercise, thinking that the exercise is what's going to make you lose weight, then you're going to be disappointed like I was. You know, I'd look at my, my month and I'd say, well, I worked out, you know, 27 out of 30 days. Why is my weight the same or more? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really paying attention to my nutrition. I just thought I, all I had to do was exercise because in my 30s, that's all I had to do. I just had to increase my movement and, you know, just be a little bit more careful with my diet, but not a whole lot. And everything, everything came off and I was like, yay. And then, you know, as menopause, perimenopause hit, and I was, I was getting more and more. And, and it's just like this, it's like this cycle because it was like, you know, you're so fat, you can't do anything, you suck. And then, and then this, this, as I started to exercise more, especially when I go out for running, it's like, I have to, I have to get myself kind of amped. I'm not as much now as before, but I used to have like all this anxiety before I went for a run, like I was going to fail it. It's like, you know, how can you fail a run? You either run the whole time or you run and walk or you, you know, you do the, my mind makes zero sense. <laughs> I, I actually, that story is very familiar to me. Um, yeah. Because I have done that to myself. So I saw this point, like when I had my, my daughter, I gained like nearly 50 pounds and like that's three years ago and I'm still like 20 pounds up. And there's a mourning process. Like I was in the best shape you could possibly be like quote unquote, whatever that is. Like that was my the pinnacle. And then it, some, all this stuff happened and I'm now this and it, you know, I'm not, I'm fine. Like I'm strong and I'm doing consistent training and it feels really good. And it actually feels really good not to worry so much about the scale weight, but more performance goals and the consistency goal. And that's really helped shift my enjoyment into more sort of, I guess, higher place. But uh, one of the things I did, the strategies I used was to lower the bar of entry so that mm. I could do a minimum goal and rather than a maximum goal of what I used to do. And so I'd always like say, ah, but it's not as good as such and such or yeah, but I only did this and that's, you know, what's the point if I'm only going to do this anyway and disqualifying myself even before I'd started or after I'd done it. So either they always say it's like the hardest thing is getting started. And I think that's true, but also it's very hard to leave and know that you did enough or feel like you did enough and say, you know, I did a good job and my effort really counts and my effort really matters. And even if I didn't do all the things I had hoped, I still did something. Even if it was one set of push-ups or whatever it was, like I did more than nothing. And I brought down the, the level of success to somewhere that was really where I was right at that moment. And, uh, and this sort of meeting yourself where you are that day really became my motto for, you know, that sort of year that I was struggling after having my first baby, yeah. uh, my, my only baby right now. But yeah. like, it just, it was very, very hard to be compassionate, not to compare myself to the past. And the other thing I, you know, when, if you're somebody who was really fit in the past and you, you basically quote unquote were derailed by life, then it can be really hard mentally on yourself as you see maybe other people who look like you used to look or 
are just like you were and you're like ah oh, back in the day it was like you know whatever and you you have this nostalgia but you also are angry at yourself because you didn't maintain it and what happened and why couldn't i pop back into place whenever like her like friends of mine mm-hmm. who just like look like they've never had a baby and they've had like three and what was wrong with me that all this happened to me and all this stuff right but then I look at like my push-ups. So I always use push-ups as an example. Back in the day, I used to do 15, 20 push-ups. But today, I can only do eight. But the challenge is the same. The challenge of those eight is the same as the challenge of those 15. So that's what matters. It's the work. It's the effort. And in some ways, you could spin it and say, well, it's more efficient now because I only have to do eight to meet the same challenge. So I actually like thinking of things slightly differently than I used to, whereas it was all about yeah. the numbers, you know, it had to be the numbers, but now it's not so much about the numbers, it's more about the effort. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of like the outcome and the process, right? And so mm-hmm. when you set a goal, and if you can set that goal and, you know, kind of just say, okay, this is the outcome I want, and now I have to focus on the process, and I'm either going to get the result I want or the lesson I need. And when you can mm-hmm. just let go of that and say that this is how it works, that really, really helps. But what you were talking about there before made me think of, you know, when I was first getting started with exercise, I would use like small habits. And there's a great book by called uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Atomic Habits is a great book about how to get started on something and why it's important. And so there were days when the only thing I had to do, and, and I still practice this, first thing in the morning is just all I have to do is put on my exercise clothes. And when I have them on, then I'm more ex- more apt to go and do my fasted cardio or whatever it is I choose to do in the morning. Or even if I just wear the clothes all day and then, you know, hop on the bike later, which is what my, that's today, today's a bike day. But I also did fasted cardio and, you know, whatever. But when the only thing you have to do is put on your trainers, mm-hmm. then that's a win. And so that's, I think that's really, really important is to get to that point where, you know, you can find a small habit. And, and I like to say this all the time, when, when you get stuck and you feel like you're just not going to move forward at all, then pick one thing that is impossible to fail. Mm. It's just so small, it's impossible to fail. And then take that action because when you start taking action, that's when the motivation happens. It's motivation is a myth, it's not real. And so when you when you start to take action, start to see results, you're gonna feel more motivated to do more. And But you've gotta start. If you don't start, you're never gonna get there. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're singing my <laughs> you're singing my song. <laughs> it's like, I think I even say somewhere in uh, you know my program that it's like, uh so doable it's almost impossible to fail like it just has to start that way and yeah. uh, you know even uh, you know one of the things people you know here who either so there's like the, you're either trying to get started or you you're doing stuff but you feel like it's just not enough or there's something missing and you know if you're following fitness people on social media it's very easy to end up feeling that way it can make your self-esteem worse Ooh. and uh, I ain't kidding there. Yes. And I mean, these are professional like, athletes. I mean, I, you know, I just want to say that, you know, if you're looking at, at these, these women um, who, who have, you know, abs, first of all, they, most of them probably haven't had a baby. We'll start with that. And then, you know, the guys who are like super cut guys have a much easier time losing fat than, than women do. It's just, it's just the way it is because they, they have different hormones. And actually it's, it's just something that just came to my mind that, that men who are transgender, they have to gain weight to look more feminine. 
Mm. And it's, you know, because they're so, it's just hard for them to lose their muscle mass. And so for you, if you are a woman who is like watching all these fitness models and, you know, these bikinis and the abs, you know, these are people who are crazy. I mean, they work out, you know, I'll work out an hour, maybe two hours a day, depending on what my, you know, maybe hour and a half. I mean, it's just not a lot, right? For compared to somebody who is a crazy, like athlete, and they're working, you know, professional athlete works out seven, eight hours a day, maybe six, you know, make sure that they're eating enough, they've got, you know, their nutrition is really, really precise. And it's all like science based. And that's what, you know, these people are crazy. And this is their job. And, so and, and, the, and the photos that the optics yeah, that go into the photos, like it's and the uh, fluid manipulation to get that lean look, that's temporary. That's so temporary, you can't maintain that. And yeah. it's, especially as a woman, as a woman, yeah, it's like yeah. And when you were you were saying work out once or twice, uh, one or two hours a day, I'm like I work out one or two hours a week. <laughs> but yeah. it's like whatever it is that's going to work for your lifestyle, right? It's like I think we get lost in sort of oh well so-and-so says I have to do such and such and oh that's a lot even the sort of oh you only have to do 10 minutes a day I used to hate that because then you have to get yourself to do something every single day and I would much rather uh, set myself that one I had a minimum goal of one workout a week and it didn't matter how long it was it was non-negotiable it was on a Tuesday morning at 8 a.m and that's when my husband took the baby and that's with my one workout. But what happened was I'd do a second workout and hey, it was a bonus. Whereas I was always doing aiming for three or four and only doing one or two and feeling I was always falling short. Right. And the type of training I do is like kettlebells and body weight stuff and you know bands and things. It's like perfect home workout things. I do have a barbell here and I do work with heavier weights sometimes, but I love my kettlebells. So it is a lot of uh, strength training that I would do and sort of maybe just walk in between. And that's that's enough. I do two main workouts a week and they last about 45 minutes. But yeah. it's so efficient. It's like I want something that's going to be efficient and effective and fun. Yeah, that's really great. So efficient, effective and fun. And so if you're a woman who wants to get fit and you want to maybe, you know, shape your body, we know that that resistance training is important to avoid mm -hmm. osteoporosis. This is all, you know, research proven and and especially if you have been out of it for a while, then, you know, obviously you want to make sure that that you're not at risk to be injured and it's important before you start an exercise program to go and talk to a healthcare person. Mm -hmm. But I would say that that the best exercise is one that you'll do. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and you know, you don't have to be like me. I mean, I, for me, my goal this year, uh, it's so it's we're recording this in uh, at the end of March 2021, you're probably not going to be aired until May. And I my goal for this year was to do some recorded workout every single day. Mm. And when I got my second Moderna shot, I had such a high fever and I felt so crappy. I couldn't do anything that day, but then every every other day so far I have. And that was just something I, I really wanted to do is like, I can I can get on the elliptical. I've got a full gym. I can get on the elliptical. I can do, I do a lot of cardio. I take the dogs walking, things like that. I'm not a big weights person right now, but it's coming. I'm gonna get back into weights again. The problem is I have uh, delayed onset muscle soreness. And so it's really, it, when I start a weight regimen, it, it, it takes like three weeks before I stop having pain. And wow. so I have to, I have to really work, <laughs> I have to really work hard to uh, you you know, get my mind in. 
one set, one or two sets, and once a week, <laughs> once a week, or yeah, it, you know, I, even they looked at weight training in in older older populations, and that what's older? Workout, what what uh, do you consider older? I would over forty five. Yeah, I think the these studies were wait um, until you're forty five, honey. You won't think right. that's old. <laughs> older, older. I, I actually think it was older than that, maybe sixties okay. and above. So it's like right. uh, looking at how to maintain, you know, health and wellness. And they looked at, you know, biochemical measures and, uh, you know, balance and things like that. Yeah. And bone density. And one workout a week, or one strength workout a week. This is, um, or every other week, meant he helped to maintain that sort of strength and if you're just beginning you're at a complete advantage because you've got what we call newbie gains and a have where you've got the unique ability to both add muscle and burn fat at the same time well that's that's really a good advantage and so would you so let's talk about that for a second so for for the audience if you're getting started mm -hmm. i mean how would you like to have the gains that come from regular lifting but only have to do it once a week and, and I've seen studies like that, and especially, especially, it seems that, that working with kettlebells is a key there. And so are you saying that if I were to do 100 kettlebell swings once a week, that might help to increase, you know, the whole posterior chain, my arms, everything? And I'm that would take me, that would take me like four minutes. Yes. So the kettlebell <laughs> swing, you, uh, I wouldn't start somebody off with a hundred, but I would, we could build up to the, the hundred, right? So I would say three sets of something, two or three sets of 10. The kettlebell swing is one part. So that would be your posterior chain. And then I would couple that with something like squats, a row and say some kind of press. And that can be a modif uh, modified or full push up or an overhead press. And it can be a two-handed press where you hold one kettlebell with two hands, which is a nice, stable, more stable position. Mm -hmm. um, or if you do have good overhead stability, you could press one lightweight overhead to begin with and just build that up. So for beginners, you're generally looking at two sets of something, twelve or eight to 12 repetitions of something. And that could be twice a week to begin with to allow you, it could be once a week to begin with, right? So it's a, the guidelines in the, as the ACSM, the American um, College of ACS, oh, I'm going to forget this. Sports say, medicine. Sports medicine yeah. um, say that, you know, twice a week. But you could do once a week because you're still going to see gains. This is actually how I started fitness. I used to go to one circuit class a week and I was in so much, I had so many doms after that. It was a week before I could train again. And I saw massive strength gains just going to that once a so week. So just just for the audience, DOMS delayed onset muscle soreness. Yeah. Yes. So like, and if, if you're getting like repeated DOMS and things, you're you're maybe we're to the point where you can't like sit on the toilet without like needing assistance. Yeah, that happens <laughs> to me after so after yeah. squats. Like I do sumo squats and then oh my legs. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. you might need to scale back on um, either the intensity that you're doing. It could be the volume. So how many reps and sets are you doing in that workout? Because so, when people start into a workout, they're so motivated and so excited that they go too, they do too much and then they get so sore, it kind of becomes a diminishing return. And then they can sort of say, oh, well, this is too, you know, they give up. And then it's maybe a few months until they start again. So something so little, even if it's just one set, a couple of times a week, you practice, you just use it as like play and say, oh, I wonder what this exercise mm. is like. And yeah. This kettlebell swing business looks kind of fun. 
But then I think people get worried about being injured with um, kettlebells and the kettlebell swing is one that I do recommend that you learn how to do properly, but I wouldn't make it a villain as in it's inherent risk in the exercise. It's just like anything else, you, there's a learning curve and you want to start with something really light, like just body weight, learning the movement pattern, and then begin slowly to load that up and yeah. load it up with weight, but also how much of that movement you're doing in one go. So there's different stacks and these details may seem like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to get that right. But all you're doing is starting easy and making it harder over time. But that's just like anything. I mean, I, you know, I talk about, I talk about dose dependence a lot mm. when it comes to exercise and my personal experience with running and how I was able to, you know, I started running. I was like 30 pounds heavier than I am now when I started running. Mm. And I was like, my, my coach would assign me like one mile. And I'd come home and my wife would say, well, that was fast. I'm like, well, it was a mile. What do you expect? I'm, I'm, I'm getting started. <laughs> it's like, I don't, you know, and, and I wasn't able to run the whole thing without stopping. It was like run, walk, run, walk. And I just, you know, I never expected anything other than let's just move the body and let's get back to running. I was a runner when I was in high school. Then I had open heart surgery. And after open heart surgery, I pretty much gave up fitness for a while until I was in my 30s. What I've noticed is that when we can let our expectations go when it comes to fitness mm -hmm. and just focus on enjoying the, the moment and sometimes it sucks i'm not going to say yes. you know i mean you sometimes you've got to embrace the suck because sometimes you know the run is sucky or the mm -hmm. or the bike workout is sucky or the swim is sucky or even the weight workout is sucky but it's better than not doing anything and sometimes running up a hill is really hard and and stuff like that but but what i've found is that when i just stay consistent with it before i know it i'm running an hour without stopping and yeah and my heart rate is not in the 180s it's down in the you know 150s 160s and i'm i'm just getting more and more and more fit but it's it's dose dependent so you have to spend time doing it you know anything worth doing is worth sucking at it first mm -hmm. that's <laughs> that's one yeah. of my phrases i like that one i think that there's a i call it fitness perfectionism um oh, yeah that there's uh, and i think that a lot of the fitness industry, again, prize on this idea of quote unquote perfect form and that there's just a range. Honestly, there's just a range of what way somebody moves and whatever you're adapted to. And it may not look the prettiest, but it's probably not as bad as you think it is. <laughs> the dose dependency, that's that's a really important part. And, you know, you're one mile being so quick and it's good that you were able to say, well, when we're starting out, because a lot of people will say it wasn't enough or that can't be, is that it? Like, surely I must need to do more, but you don't, you really don't. There's just so all, you know, especially if you're struggling with consistency, the most important thing to prioritize is being consistent at something. And it's better if it's easy. If it's better, I think if it's easy, you may want to challenge yourself with certain exercises, but you don't need to challenge yourself with duration because that's just going yes. to become a big thing in your mind. You're going to have to do a whole R. Like, don't make it so black and white. It doesn't have to. Be, there's nothing special about one R over ten minutes. Like, yeah. So if that's that's really really interesting because we tend to value things that take our more of our time. Mm -hmm. 
And so we tend to say, well, if I do it for an hour, that's more valuable than if I do it for 10 minutes. But we know from the studies that 10 minutes consistently is better than an hour inconsistently. Yes. And so time is such a funny thing because <laughs> we spend so much of our lives like worrying about time, worrying about being on time or saying I don't have enough time. And when in fact, if, if we can just change the way we think about time to saying, what can I do in this amount of time that's gonna get me closer to my goal. And yeah. so it's a it's a matter of changing our relationship to time. And and I think mm-hmm. I, I just you know, I mean that that's that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down. But but <laughs> you know, talking about perfectionism and procrastination are, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And it, perfectionism is truly just a fear of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. And in when it comes to being successful, we have to take the chance to fail forward. And this mm-hmm. this was a tough lesson for me, and especially as a surgeon, it was really hard because if I wasn't perfect at something, people could die. Yes. And so when I was able to take that away from, you know, just, just kind of compartmentalize that perfectionism that I had to have in that high performance part of my life, and then take my exercise and say, it's okay if I, if I walk when I run. It's okay if I get off the bike and go to the bathroom or just take a breather or take a glass of water or whatever and just give myself permission to not have to be perfect at it. And as soon as that happened, I started making gains. Mm. So that was good. When you get out of your own way, Kenneth, in in some regards, because like the pressure, it's the pressure. There's so, when we put so much pressure on ourselves, when you're consciously thinking about doing something, it's very hard on your mental energy. <laughs> like, it, you know, it clogs things up. Whereas if you trust what, what you're, this happens in exercise. I'm, I don't know how much it works in terms of like fine motor things in terms of like surgery and things. But when you're looking at movement, you think about what you want to do and then you, you trust your body to do it. And at the beginning, there's a learning curve where you have to think more about it, like driving or riding yeah. a bike and then playing the piano. But at some point, there's an automatic flow that happens and you get into it and you don't necessarily consciously need to think about it as much anymore. And it happens when you're not, it happens faster and it's a more enjoyable process when you're not being so critical and worried about being perfect. Yeah. Um, it's so it's so important. It's so powerful, and I always think it's interesting how the the fitness industry always real against the industry because like what you do, what they do is like make you think about all the things you're not doing right right or the things you don't have, and so you become more and more focused on those where you're not versus where you are and what you have and what you can do. So my whole thing is you're equipped with the with exactly what you need already for that next step. Doesn't have to be the 10th step. You have everything you need right now for whatever that is for you. And you don't need somebody a trainer, not me, I'm not going to come and fix you. I'm not my program isn't your hero. You're the hero of your own story. I may be a guide along the way, but you have so much power and agency in this process that don't get caught in the weeds of what other people tell you what, what you want. Those are those yeah. taking your power away. Yeah, that, that's really good. So, you know, there, there's a couple things here. I wanted to touch on the fact that, you know, my son is going to be 28 years old in April. Mm-hmm. 
and I still haven't lost the baby weight. And I'm not the only woman. You know, a lot of women will have babies and then and then just never lose the baby weight. And, you know, I look at Kate Middleton, for example, who, you know, she has had, well, she's pregnant again, I think. I, I don't know. She's had four children, right? Oh, Three or four. four I don't know. Oh. I don't know. She's got a bunch of kids. She's had a bunch of kids, a bunch more than me. I had one. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, she's out there like right away afterwards looking uh, so skinny. Mm. And, and, you know, Meghan Markle, the same thing. And, you know, a lot of a lot of celebrities have had children and then they just, you know, they get their bodies back. And I don't think that that's the norm. And, mm. and I always was comparing myself to like, why can't I lose my body weight, you know, my baby weight? And, and life just kept on going. And I, I kept on doing the things I wanted to do. But I was always upset that I, I you know, I always had this pouch. And... Mm-hmm. That's just a change in my body that came because I chose to give life to, uh, you know, uh, you know, to, to, to use my body to cre- create life. And that's okay. And mm-hmm. so I had to really accept my body there. And so if you're a woman who's, you know, gained a lot of weight when you're pregnant and you're trying to lose it, Stephen, now, even though all your kids are grown and out of, you know, you got grandchildren, all that stuff, <clears throat> there is hope. And that, you know, that comes from starting with accepting who you are and starting right where you are and rather than rather than trying to compare yourself to any celebrity like a Helen Mirren for example I mean you know she's super lean but the other thing I wanted to talk about was the fitness industry did you want to say something about that I'll just well shut up I was just a a small point on questioning the game so it is kind of tied into the industry again yeah Uh, the questioning the why do we need to lose our our baby weight and like who's we've been it's been instilled in us that we just sort yeah. of take that on and why I, sometimes i like wake up i'm like like i'm like why am i why do i want this anyway like who says i need to lose this fat like it's just fat and it's just a shape it's like your body grew a baby and now my tummy looks like that and it's i when i compare myself to other people or my old self there's still that little voice that goes ah I wish I didn't have it like this or I wish I was like, you know, I look different. And I feel like when I'm doing my kettlebell swings, I feel my tummy like wobble. And there is this like part of me that's still like fat phobic. And I'm like, I cringe at that part because I don't want to be fat phobic. But I also don't like I'm kind of in this weird in, in between part of knowing what I'm thinking and want, not wanting to be believe those things. So. I just try to observe it and go not, you know, I don't want to play the game. I, th- this, the game is, is sort of stacked against me in terms of the fitness industry. They tell you what you want and then you either play it or you don't. And I think that mm-hmm. you cannot you cannot play it by just being with yourself and be like, okay, I look like this. I can't really change it right now. I can't snap my fingers and change it. So let me just sit with this. And, you know, I have a theory that no matter where I go, or how I look, I'm still going to feel these certain feelings and it'll be about something else. Because mm-hmm. I, when I was 22, I got breast implants and I thought that would make me feel better. And then whenever I was 31, I had them removed thinking I don't want them anymore. And then I still felt the same. Yeah. And like, it, there was just no escaping myself, really. <laughs> because wherever you go, there you are. There you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, this is, this is really good because there's a lot of external pressure on us especially in a patriarchy as women mm-hmm. to look a certain way to act a certain way to ask for permission to 
to make men happy okay and that's that's we're groomed from childhood on up that that we exist for men and and i'm not bashing on men this is just the society we live in mm -hmm. and we can change that by by changing our minds about what that means now and that's mm -hmm. You know that's kind of part of my mission and that's why you know if menopause happened to men there would have been something because it's really disruptive for women and it's it's almost like you know how, how i like to talk about menopause is that you know we had puberty and we knew it was coming because it was a big change and they made sure we knew pregnancy big change you know you get a lot of help through pregnancy menopause comes and you're just out on your own and so many women just feel lost and lonely and they don't know what to do and like oh, the weight starts piling on and they start feeling horrible and then and then the libido goes and people don't understand why they don't want to have sex and and just so so a lot of things happen in menopause and a lot of it and the reason i bring this all up is because a lot of it comes back to body image and we feel like mm. like we're we're not good enough and listening to the media listening to the fitness industry all of those things you know looking at the celebrities that have a lot more resources than most of us do those things are the things that are just going to help our mental chatter be like you're not good enough you're not good enough you're not good enough you're not good enough and mm -hmm. what we have to do is we have we have to make friends with that voice in our heads and say you know we have to change our minds about it and i tell this story about when I was on a cruise ship at the end of 2018 or 2017, I don't remember. I was, but we were down, you know, it was a, at the end of the year cruise ship. And I looked, every time I looked in the mirror, I said to myself, you're so fat. And, you know, it was end of the year. So I was like, I got to make a new resolution. I was like, I am not going to do that anymore. And I'm going to look in the mirror and say, I love you. Mm. Where you are, I love you. And I started doing that. And when I did that, then things started to change for me. I started taking different <laughs> actions wow. and, and, the fitness industry exists to feed the fitness industry. Yeah. It doesn't exist for anything else. It is there to take your money. <laughs> yeah. And if you want some help, hire a coach to learn how to do things, and Marianne's here for that. But you know, to spend you know needless amounts of endless amounts of money on supplements and pills, powders and potions and patches and things like that, maybe are not even going to help you. Remember, mm -hmm. a baby never gets upset when they fall down when they're learning how to walk, mm. ever. I mean, and they, they never get upset when they say a word wrong. And we have to approach it that way. Yeah. Like, we can't fail. That's so true. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when the fitness, I was looking just up at the history of the fitness industry and how we got to this place. And it actually, before it was commercialized like it is now, it started off way in ancient Rome when in gymnasiums or ancient Greece or whatever. And yeah. it was this idea of nobility or being the elite of the population. And then you, in uh, other countries, like Russia and even Germany and things where they trained their soldiers who were the, the elite. Mm -hmm. And then you look at posture and a certain posture means you're elite and you're better. And if you have bad posture, quote unquote, bad posture, it means you're lazy and people judge you and think you're stupid. And the social implications of these things drive people to want to appear to be, well, they don't want to look lazy or stupid. And they we're driven into this funnel of not being good enough as we are as ordinary people. And so now we want to look like these, you know, muscular, lean physiques that it can do all these things as if that's somehow better. Right. And, and, and the I, other thing I find that's fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, remember that when we set a goal that 
I'm going to be happy when, mm. right? And you hit that goal and you're still not happy. It's There's something missing there because our happiness is not dependent on a goal. Happiness is a choice. And you can be choose you can choose to be happy in this moment right now where you are rather than saying when I get this then. And when you when you're able to let go of an outcome as the means to your happiness, then you're going to have a lot more freedom to make the mistakes that you have to make in order to learn what you need to learn. And that's that that was so so huge for me uh, just understanding how to move forward in my fitness, in my life, in my business, and in, in, in the big pivots I've done in my life. And so that's really good. But what the, the last thing I want to talk to you about uh, before I find out if there's anything else you want to talk about <laughs> is you, you write here, <laughs> you write here on, your, on your outline that the best progress measures are not on the scale. And I, I'd like you to talk about that for a minute because we are so entrenched in looking at this number on the scale and uh, you know just for me I, I weigh myself every day so you know sometimes more than once and and i just see the fluctuations and the reason why i do that is to really reinforce with myself it's just a number mm -hmm. it's just a number it doesn't matter people who do want to lose weight are more successful if they weigh, weigh themselves every day for that reason so they can put in perspective the fluctuations but i i find a lot of people um, become obsessed with that number and don't realize that the weight on the scale doesn't correlate to how well you fit your, your clothes, especially if you're doing weight training or you know strength training and things that really influences how compact you are. Mm. And you may weigh you may weigh exactly the same and never lose a pound, but you recomp you you do what's called like um, recomp. So your body mm -hmm. composition just changes from your body fat gets burned off as you build that muscle and they replace each other the yes but the other measures that i'm uh, talking about or the other sort of measures of success is uh, i i polled my my audience and most of my audience are women who are in their 40s and above and they often talk to me about perimenopause and menopause uh, issues especially with fatigue and you know lack of energy and things like that and that seems to be a big one but they measure they're talking about how they feel when they're working out or how they, why, what is it about working out that, why do you do it? And they say, because it clears my mind or I feel really accomplished. I, I love to be challenged and meet that challenge. And even though they've struggled with consistency, they still remember that the, the person that they are doesn't usually shy away from a challenge. And so why is fitness somehow different? I can do this. And it's not perfect all the time, but then there's strength measures, the, the things that you're improving at. Are you able to hold, you know, if you want to do planks and you're able to hold it a wee bit longer this week? Or can I squat a little lower this week or do one more kettlebell swing? And while those are also still numbers, those are measures that are probably going to change quicker than the weight on the scale. It takes a you know, okay, you might see a drop one week, but then it might come up the next week and mess with your head. But if you're able to see that, and even just showing up, like, did I show up for my non-negotiable workout this week? Yeah. That string of ticks or X's on a calendar sometimes is very good, motivating, just not want to break the chain. And yes. Like you, when you, when you had your, when you had your second shot and then it broke the chain, but you still, you got back up and yes. continued. And that's honestly what it's all about. And you can also track like the way you talk to yourself. 
like, am I still saying the same things? Am I still walking past a mirror and saying, I'm so, you're so fat or you're so horrible or whatever it is you say to your, yourself. And what you mentioned reminded me of, I think actually it was in one of your other podcasts where you're talking about headaches and I can't remember the name of your guest, but mentioned Dr. Veneziano about uh, gratitude and how important that is to switching into that other mode and it started, I started gratitude with simple, this is going to sound so silly, but the only thing I could see that I liked about my appearance anyway was my eyebrows. <laughs> like, I thought my eyebrows look really good today. And that just, that small little thing switched my whole orient, like I was oriented toward the negative before that. And then it just, all of a sudden I was seeing all these other things. And it just became a bit of a habit then to try to look at the bright side or uh, reframes i love reframes mm -hmm. because it, it's in your control you can change your narrative it's not stuck in one place you can change the the way you got to where you are now and exactly. your future story like it's not written in stone yeah that's so true and i i challenge any woman who's or any man even if you're if you're listening to this right now to go to the mirror after this podcast is over and just look at, at your left eye and tell yourself, I love you for five minutes in a row. Mm. And that's going to change everything. And really feel it just like you would towards a lover or a, or a spouse and, and not in a sexual way. I mean, that's weird. But, <laughs> but more in terms of like, one thing that I can say as a mother is that when I've never felt a bond to another human the way I felt the bond to that child. I mean, there's just so much like, you know, genetic and just instinctual care that came through once I birthed a child. And I'm, you know, he's almost, you know, he's an adult, he's almost 28 years old. And, and I'm still very, very, very protective of him as a mom. And so I think when you can kind of take that and really get that in your mind, that feeling of how much you love someone. Maybe it's mm -hmm. maybe it's a, a pet, you know, maybe if you've never had, or maybe it's a parent or a grandparent or something, but somebody that you really love and then, and then see if you can bring that feeling up, look in the mirror and really just, it, per, you know, put that towards yourself because that that is a big, a big thing. Powerful. Yeah. So uh, was there anything else you were hoping to share with the audience no. today? I'm very grateful to have spoken to you and your audience yeah. today. Awesome. And uh, where can people find you? You can find me at equippedwithstrength.com. Equippedwithstrength.com. That's great. And thanks so much for being on the Menopause Movement podcast today, Marianne. I'm super, super excited to get this published as part of our fitness series, probably soon. I don't know when, but anyway. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you. All I'm right. Grateful to be here. Thanks. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. 
To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones and I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Thank you.